Uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7. So you can go ahead and grab a Bible. Um, if you don't have one, there's one underneath. Um, most of these rows, you can go ahead and grab that. If, if you don't have one, keep that Bible. We want, it to be, we want it to be yours. We want you to take it with you and use it so you can have a chance to read the Scriptures at home. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, um, verses 1-7. through 7. And let me just kind of give you a, an overview of how we're going to do this. And then you'll... You'll be able to follow along a little easier. <clears throat> this, this text is directed towards men who will be elders or pastors. And so what I'm going to do today is a couple of things. Um, first of all, kind of tell you what qualifies elders. And then after that, tell you how they oversee or how they govern churches. And then after that, I'm going to give you two things that you can strive for in your life. The first thing that is that you can um, strive to have these qualifications or characteristics in your life. And the second thing is that you'll pray for elders. So um, you'll pray for the elders of this church specifically. So um, I'm going to pray and then we'll and then we'll jump right in. Let's let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. God, I, I thank you for your love. I thank you for Christ. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our minds to this text today. And, and though um, it may not directly apply to the large majority of the people here, God, I pray that they'll see the application still and that they'll strive for these qualities, these characteristics in their life, God. I pray that you would help me speak clearly. Um, I pray that you would help me speak with conviction. And Lord, <clears throat> where I need to be gentle, that you would give me those, um, those characteristics of gentleness as well. That we can all be exhorted to look towards Christ as our only hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, we'll be in 1 Timothy 3. And um, this is probably one of the uh, most important sermons that I have preached so far that I've been here at Remedy. Um, the reason why is um, because in this text, we're going to try to call out in this congregation, or at least for the future in this congregation, men who would aspire to the office of elder. Now, elder also means pastor, which means every church needs um, qualified men who can lead the church. And so as I'm preaching this, it's it's the most important because I need people to come along with us and start um, leading with me so that we can have um, a Christ honoring church. So if, if, if we don't have that and it's just me still trying to navigate it another year, year and a half in, um, then we're dead in the water. I mean, there's no way that one person can continually um, be the lead elder and the only elder of a church. So it's probably one of the most um, important sermons that I'll preach. There's a couple of reasons why. Um, what I want to do today is for those of you that are interested in church planning, um, Hopefully you'll be um, inspired to start aspiring to this office, as well as those of you that um, just want to be an elder in this context. And I'm going to explain what I mean by elder in just a minute, that you would start stepping up so that um, the things that I'm not gifted at, you can start coming alongside and start complimenting me and you can start doing those things as a lead um, one of the lead pastors, not the lead pastor, but one of the pastors of the church. And I can start doing the things that I feel like I'm gifted at, um, which isn't very much. But those things that I feel like I can do, um, that I can start concentrating on those. Um, because in a church plant, um, the lead planter has to do lots of different things, um, you know, from from cutting pieces of paper and making copies to preaching and teaching the scriptures. And so there's there's some things that, that I think I can do. But if we had other people coming alongside to start um, leading with me, then that's less that I can have to do. So <clears throat> that's my desire. Um, now, about a month ago, I made the case whenever we were preaching to, 
through First Timothy um, at, at least a month ago, whenever we were looking at First Timothy two eight through fifteen, and we were talking about um, the role of women in the church. I made I made the case then that um, as far as office of elder or pastor goes, that that's only reserved for men. I don't really have time to to um, explain that anymore. If you want to hear that, then you can go to iTunes and you can you can download that. But we're just going to um, kind of start off by saying. Um, this office of elder is reserved for just men. So uh, you, if you want more on that, like I said, you can you can go download that. Um, now, there's there's a couple different people here this morning. Um, if if you're churched or you're, you're familiar with um, familiar with church, then perhaps you know what I mean when I say the office of elder. If you've never been in the church, then you're probably just thinking elderly or old. Um, and, and I would actually qualify right now as one of the elders. And you're looking at me like, well, you're 16. So how is that possible? Um, well, I'm not 16. But anyway, um, elder doesn't mean elderly. It means that you meet the qualifications that are given to us here in First Timothy chapter 3 as well as Titus 1. Um, and since you meet these qualifications, that you are now um, eligible to aspire to the office of elder. So elder doesn't necessarily mean um, elderly. It, it means that you meet these qualifications. Now, um, what we're going to be talking about today is, is what's known as church polity. And that's just kind of the government of the church. Um, and this is really more of a secondary issue. It's not a primary issue. The gospel's not at stake when we're talking about this. But it is an important issue. So we're going to look at the qualifications. I'm going to hopefully challenge you to aspire to these qualifications, though you may never, ever be an elder anyway. And then we're going to, um, we're going to pray. Now, if you look... Go ahead and open your, t- your Bibles to First Timothy chapter three. And let's let's just what we're going to do is I'm just going to kind of read a verse and then talk, read a verse and then talk. And when we get to the qualifications, I'll make some comments on ones that need to be talked about. And the other ones that are basically obvious, then we'll, we'll kind of move fast through those. But let's let's look at First Timothy chapter three, verse one. And after one, then we'll start going through. But I want to spend a little bit of time on one just so you can kind of hear what I'm saying. It says the say, this saying, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Um, two words that I want to I really want to key in on aspire and overseer just to lay a little groundwork so we can start going. Um, if it says aspire, it says if anyone aspires, it's not saying that um, if you feel like it or if someone in the church comes to you and says, you know what, I think that maybe you should be an elder. It says, if anyone aspires, which means if you want to be an elder in the church, you want to be a leader in the church, you don't passively wait for someone to come to you. You go to the leadership of the church and you say, I feel like I have met qualifications here um, of First Timothy 3. Or if you, you're a deacon, then you, in, in verses 8 through um, 13, you say, I feel like I meet the qualifications of deacon, so I am interested in aspiring to the leadership of the church. That's the way it works. It's not, you're not passive in this. You're very much active. You go to the elders, which right now is me, and hopefully we'll have more, and you say, I'm interested in aspiring. We have right now, and I've been writing it for a little while, um, basically about a year-long process that um, someone would have to go to to be an elder, um, which means you're going to read several books, you're going to write several papers, you're going to defend several positions theologically. The reason why it's, it's strenuous is because elder, if we look at this, it says aspires to the office of overseer. All right. Now, this overseer um, and I, I could take you to some texts and, and all over the Bible and try to help you see it. but I just don't have time. This overseer um, in, in verse one is also synonymous with the word elder, which is also synonymous with the word pastor. 
Um, also synonymous with the word bishop. So all these are kind of really one thing. This is all one office. And so if you're going to be the pastor, if you're going to be one of the pastors of the church, then you would need to meet those qualifications. You would need to go through that year-long process of, of knowing theology, reading books, writing position papers, being able to defend the gospel, and things like that. So if anyone aspires, so the first thing I want to say is, men here, all of you that are men, every one of you should aspire. This isn't a, a, a thing where you can passively decide whether you want to or not. Every single one of you, whether you're 15 or 45 or 55 or whatever, every one of you should aspire to the office of elder. Every one of you should pattern your life around one day striving for to meet these qualifications because this is what Jesus, would ha- the, he would have you live your, your life this way. This isn't something like, that's just for the guys that are spiritual. Every single one of you should do that. You should aspire to the office of overseer. Um, I don't have time to do this either, but um, I am assuming, and I'm hoping that you can just follow along with me, and if you want to talk about it later, I can help, I can help you see it. Um, every church should have a plurality or multiple elders, multiple pastors inside of one church. Um, perhaps you've, gr- you've grown up in a church um, where there's just one pastor and then a, then a deacon board who kind of operates as servants, which is what deacon means, but also operates as pastors um, or really overseers. Um, And that's not what I believe to be the most biblical model. Um, I believe that the Bible tells us that there should be a plurality of pastor elders in one church. So I'm, I'm operating on that assumption and you can just know that that's what I'm, we're not, we're not talking about a church that has one pastor, but a church that has multiple. Now that doesn't mean that you'll all um, stand up here and preach and teach like I am. Um, which we'll get to in a minute, but it does mean that you're one of the pastors. You help oversee um, and that every man here should aspire to it. And and I'm going to argue as well, every woman here should aspire not to the office of elder, but to meet these qualifications as well. Because these qualifications are talking about men that are um, strong in their faith, which is not something that's just exclusive to church leadership. Every Christian should be strong in their faith. Every Christian should strive for that. So it says this thing is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Um, recently, I, I spoke for about three weeks on dating and marriage at uh, Winthrop University at their BCM. Um, and what I heard time and time again in conversations afterwards, and even it was some of it was interactive, which was new for me, but it was fine. Um, they would say, one just raised her hand, you're describing guys that don't exist. You know, you're saying to, to go after these particular kind of guys that are Christ-centered, who want to um, lead their families well. You're describing guys that don't exist. Um, and, and for the most part, I understand that most 20-year-olds um, aren't really seeking the things of Christ in their life. However, um, God has given me the joy of seeing some of you guys, though you're young, some uh, kind of move out of your teenage years into your 20s. And I've seen that those guys do exist. Um, a lot of the guys here could possibly be elders one day. And so I just want to encourage you guys that are in your 20s that I've, that I've had the opportunity to kind of know for the last five years that are moving out of your teens into your 20s, that there are those guys here. And, and if you're wanting to be one of those guys, or if you have a brother that's a joke and needs to be a strong man of Christ, I would invite you to bring those guys here because it is happening here. 
And I've had the opportunity to run with these guys now for a little while. And it's, it's interesting to see how um, Christ is, is honoring their desire to see Christ glorified in their life and really be true men of God. So if you're looking for that, I think that they're here. Um, and we're going to one day hopefully see some of these guys mature into the faith. But until then, it doesn't mean that we don't need elders right now. So we need men who are already there to aspire and want to be elders as well. Um, because every man, every man should aspire to this. No matter where you are in life, it doesn't matter how old you are now. You're not too far gone to aspire one day, even if you're in your 40s or 50s, to be an elder one day. You can be a pastor whether you eventually branch off and plant your own church or if you stay here as one of the elder pastors with me for your entire life. Everyone should aspire to this. All right. Now, as we're going through this list of qualifications, um, there's a couple of things I want you to know um, because it's, it's really likely, really possible that some of you will hear these qualifications and think that because you have these qualifications in your life, that you have a great relationship with Jesus. Um, and so we need to know that for those of you that are Christians, you should be doing these things in your life but you're only going to be doing these things in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by willpower. And for those of you that aren't Christians, um, if you have some of these things in your life, this 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 may kind of take you off guard. This may this may shock you a little bit. Um, if you have some of these qualifications in your life, but you are not a Christian, um, if you're you're not a drunkard or you're hospitable, um, you're not a lover of money, you're not quarrelsome, but you are not a Christian you are still doing these things in a sinful way. That's interesting to think about. These things are, these are things that they're telling elders to do because if you do these things, you won't be sinful. If you're not a Christian, you're still doing these things in a sinful way. Let me tell you why. Romans 14, 23 says, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So your problem is not whether you're doing these, this list of do's and don'ts. Your problem is unbelief. Your problem is unbelief. And until you become a Christian, everything you do, whether it's a good or bad deed, your motive behind it will always be to glorify self and not Christ. So your problem is unbelief. So don't think about um, if you're not a Christian today, all I need to do is try to adjust my behavior and do these things. If you hear this in a moralistic way, then you're going to think that salvation is attained through morality and salvation is not attained through morality. Salvation is only attained through faith in Christ. Your problem is not unbelief. Your, pro- your problem is unbelief. It's not your, your, what you're doing. So for Christians who are doing these things, remember, it's only because of your faith in Christ that you are. And so you, just like all of us, Christians or non-Christians, all of us need to return to the cross daily to make these things in our li- happen in our life. All right. Um, I think that's all I need as far as introduction introductions go. Um, now we're going to look at these qualifications. We're just going to read a little bit and then I'll kind of explain the ones that need that, that need explanation. All right, let's look at verse two. It says, therefore, an overseer and just remember that's elder pastor bishop. That's it's an all encompassing word. An overseer must be above reproach. Um, there's about 14 of these. and We're not going to spend a ton of time on all of them, but above reproach, we just want to kind of um, understand this above reproach is first because it, it's all encompassing of the rest of them. Um, approach is disgraceful or discrediting. So um, an elder who's above reproach is above disgrace or above discrediting. There's not a person that can come to an elder and, and, and level out a charge against them and it's going to stick. 
That's what an elder is. They're above reproach. If someone tries to level a charge, it's not going to stick. Everybody's going to say that that's not them. We know that that's not true. So an elder must be above reproach. Um, he must not be marked by infamy that would lessen his authority. So um, he must not have a, a pattern of of discrediting in his life or disgraceful things happening in his life. He must be above reproach. And remember, this is kind of a an all encompassing word of the rest. All right. Next one. Um, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. We're going to need to spend just a couple seconds here on this one. Um, Literally, in the Greek, um, man and husband is the same word. Woman and wife is the same word. It's just one. So context will show you whether whether the writer is trying to say woman or wife or husband or man. The context clearly is that he is talking about husbands and wives. He's not just saying men and women, but um, literally the Greek is a one woman man. Um, And there's a lot of ways that people go here when they're trying to um, they're trying to understand what this means. Um, For us here at Remedy, what this means is that um, elders, if married, must be devoted husbands. They must be faithful and true to one woman. It doesn't mean that they have to be married. The Apostle Paul was not married. No one's going to argue that he wasn't an elder. Um, and it also, if you say they have to be married, it flies in the face of 1 Corinthians 7, which says it's better for you to be single because you can do more work for the Lord. So it doesn't mean that they have to be married. Um, the next thing is this. Um, I don't think that it means that if you've been divorced, that you're automatically disqualified for the office of elder. Um, And I've got some reasons for that. There are people who say if you've ever been divorced, you're totally disqualified for office of elder. Um, Not necessarily. Every situation is case by case, but there are times. And let me just give you a few reasons. Um, If you look at all of the qualifications here, every one of them is talking about the present status or the present condition of that man's life right now. That he's not a drunkard. It doesn't mean he's never been drunk in his life. Um, that he's not quarrelsome. It doesn't mean that he wasn't. That he's not violent but gentle. It doesn't mean that he maybe, you know, in his teenage years wasn't violent. Every single qualification that's listed, every single one of them, deals with the man's present status. It would be very curious if Paul was listing out every single qualification dealing with present status except for one. And he goes, oh yeah, but that one means his whole life. So that's one. Um, another reason which this is these are from systematic theology, Wayne Grudem. This is a very compelling one. He says that Paul there, there are words in Greek to say um, having been married only once. And he doesn't say that there are words to say that he can only be married once. And he doesn't say that um, it would also prevent someone who was a widower who had been remarried. Um, it would totally prevent them. Um, and lastly, there was um, there was the cases of polygamy at the time. There was cases where there were men who had several wives. And so what Paul um, most likely is going against is the idea, if we're talking about polygamists who are trying to have several wives at once, that this is dealing with a one-woman man, a man who is faithful and true to his wife. Um, he is devoted to his wife and his wife alone. All right, the next one is sober-minded. Um, and sober-minded just means that you're not... Um, enslaved to things. And you're going to see that this they're going to start being synonymous. Sober-minded, self-controlled. These are temperate and prudent. Um, that he's also respectable. He has good behavior. That he's hospitable. Um, hospitable doesn't mean that, um, that he's good at cooking and vacuuming and having people over at his house. Um, hospitable means that 
he has a desire within him to spend time around unbelievers. And while he's around unbelievers, they're doing life with him in a way that they know him well and that they are drawn towards him and drawn towards um, doing life with him in community. It doesn't mean that they necessarily come to know Christ, but he is. He's not a guy who lives in the bubble and that he's never around them. This is not fellowship. Um, Mark Driscoll will say there's a difference between fellowship and there's a difference between um, hospitable. Fellowship is your you're around believers and you're doing you're doing life with them. Hospitable is that an elder is also um, around unbelievers and he's doing life with them. So an elder must be around unbelievers as well, not just believers. All right. The next one here is um, able to teach. Um, this is <clears throat> we know, um, especially by looking at First Timothy two, eight through 15. Um, one one attribute or one quality for an elder that's just for them. We see in 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 15, where Paul prevents women from being elders in the church based on the fact that they shouldn't teach. And when we look at deacons, we see that this qualification of able to teach is not in the list for deacons. So as we narrow down and we look at this verses 1 through 7, Paul's kind of taking this able to teach and putting up and say, this is one of the most distinct qualifications of elder is that they're able to teach. Now, um, this doesn't mean that they're going to be up here on Sundays preaching. Um, it does mean that they are able to communicate the gospel effectively. Some of them will be small, better small group leaders. Some of them will be um, better new members class. Some, some will be better one-on-one with teaching. It means they're able to teach the gospel. They understand the gospel and then they can communicate it. And they can also see um, wolves that are coming in trying to take the sheep out and be drawn to false doctrine. And they're able to pinpoint those things and say, that's not true. They can see those things and they're protecting the sheep. So an elder is a protector of the sheep and he's able to do it because he's able to teach. But it doesn't mean that he would stand up here and teach every Sundays from the scriptures. It doesn't mean that at all. Now, um, there's some there's some confusion, especially in today's America, where we think able to teach and you might not realize this, we confuse able to teach with able to communicate. And I want to make a little bit of a distinction here. Um, Able to communicate means that if I could stand up here with a phone book and read the phone book to you, you would still be drawn into me um, and you would just be on the edge of your seat. Man, he can read the phone book good. Man, he can talk about cooking eggs good. Man, he can talk about, he's able to tell stories well and he's able to keep your attention. That's communication. I am not talking about people that are good at communication. There are a lot of people that are good at communication that are pastors that are not able to teach. And we don't want to confuse that. Able to communicate is not able to teach. We're talking about someone that can open up this book to you and teach you the glories of Christ and help you see Jesus in the scriptures. Whether they're the best communicator or not is not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who's able to teach the scriptures, not able to read you the phone book or teach you how to cook. That's communication. That's someone that was really good in their college communications class. All right. So we're talking about able to teach, not just being able to communicate. The reason why this is necessary is in the next book in Paul's letter in Second Timothy, um, Paul tells him this. In Second Timothy four, Paul tells Timothy, who is a pastor, preach the word. He doesn't tell him tell stories. He doesn't tell him to, to always be funny. He doesn't always tell him to um, entertain. He tells them to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Not communication. Teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, 
but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So there will be a time and the time is now. When people will want to go to churches where they can hear soft doctrine that makes them feel good. Because they're not going to talk about sin, but they're going to entertain them for an hour. And Paul is telling Timothy, you need to preach the word. The key issue in all of this is what we would call the doctrine of sufficiency. Sufficiency means that we believe the Bible in and of itself is sufficient to cause you and me to have a life changed around being a worshiper of Christ. I don't need to add entertainment. I don't need to add a bunch of stories. I don't need to add my communication skills. If I just, or maybe lack thereof, if I just stand here and teach you the scriptures, the scriptures alone, and I believe that this is what will change your life, I'm going to give more of this and less of me, and you're going to grow spiritually. Now, here's the, here's the tricky part. There are guys... This is why it's confusing for us all. There are guys that are really good at communication who don't necessarily preach and teach the, pre- preach and teach the scriptures, but their people start accumulating some level of life change. They start changing their life a little bit. They start becoming um, less in the world. They stop drinking. They stop beating their wife. They stop kicking the dog. They stop doing these things morally based. And here's where it gets tricky because on the outside, if we look at those things, um, they've stopped doing those things and their communication skills and their persuasiveness has encouraged people to stop doing bad things and start doing good things. But in the end, it's leading to better morality. It's not leading to someone who has fully understood the gospel and they want to change the patterns of their life based on a love affection for Jesus and the gospel rather than just because they want to stop doing bad things. So it's really tricky. Good communicators can talk people into being moralistic and you can look at it and say, well, that's got to be good there, but don't be fooled. We're talking about people whose lives have been transformed by the gospel Not by a slick communicator that if a van hits them and they're gone, all the people's faith are all of a sudden gone. So we're not looking for people that are changed just because their pastor is really good at um, at persuasiveness. But that if something happens to their pastor, they're going to continue in the faith because the gospel has transformed their life. All right. So able to teach sound doctrine, not a drunkard. um, Pretty obvious. Uh, It just means. You know, Otis is not a good, he's not a good elder. Only like five of y'all know what I'm talking about. Andy Griffith show, the drunk guy that would let himself in the jail. All right. Um, basically, uh, it's not saying that you can't drink. It's saying that you can't be a drunkard. Um, there are some people who hold a, a, a teetotaler position. We should not ever drink alcohol. And if that's, if that's where you are, that's fine. There's, uh, I'm not saying that's bad. Um, if you drink and you're under 21, you're in sin. If you're over 21 and you can drink responsibly and not cause people to stumble and you're not a drunkard, you could still qualify for the office of elder. Um, but as long as it doesn't, it doesn't dominate your life. Um, the next one is not violent, but gentle. Um, this, is not, this is someone who's not always looking to, f- to fight someone. They're not violent, but they're gentle. 
Um, violent doesn't necessarily mean that they, they actually fight, but it can mean that they have a violent personality. They just want to argue. They just want to, and this, this will also kind of go hand in hand with the quarrelsome, um, which is next. When we see quarrelsome, um, the quarrelsome guy who's, no matter what, whether they agree, agree or disagree, they always have to play the devil's advocate. They always have to be the, the person who's going to disagree to throw in their way. Uh, are, do you know these guys? I went to college with one of these guys. Um, no one really liked him, and he's still single. You know, he's like 40 and he loves playing Civil War reenactments. If you love that, I'm sorry. But he loves that. And he's these guys don't get married. These guys generally, if they do, mistreat their wives. This is not the kind of guy that that qualifies for the office of elder. The guys that are that are that are violent and they just want to they just want to argue about everything and have people believe their ways. Um, There's times where we can say, you know what, this isn't gospel centered. This is a secondary issue. You're going to disagree with me and we're just going to agree to disagree and it's going to be fine. Um, so elders are not. They're not violent, but they're gentle. They're not quarrelsome. They're not a lover of money. Um, they don't have a life devoted to personal gain and personal wealth. If that's that's their life goal is to make a lot of money, then they might not be qualified for the office of elder. They're not, they don't have a life devoted towards that. They're not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. I need to speak a little t- uh, spend a little time here. Um, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how he care for God's church? So we see um, your family... If you're an elder, you're, you're a dad, you're your husband, you're kind of the pastor of that little family. And that's kind of a, a, a testing ground or, or a place that we can look at to see if he can pastor his family, well, then he can pastor a church. If he can't pastor a family, how can he pastor a church? That's basically what Paul's saying. Um, if there is, and it, it, this is a good place to be honest, if there is a place that I know I struggle, it's this one. Um, managing my own household well, I have found to be very difficult. Um, pastoring my family doesn't come easy to me because if you're like me at all, I'm extremely self-centered, extremely selfish. And um, after I've worked all day, when I come home, the last thing I want to do is continually pastor my family well. And so this is one that I think all of us, if we're honest, would struggle with if we're dads Um, or that if you're not careful and you're not a dad yet, you should make very big strides to to be better at this. Um, This means that you consistently are teaching the scriptures and the glories of Christ to your children and your wife. That you're consistently teaching, consistently reading the word to them, consistently um, finding ways that you can teach them that, these th- that everything's about Christ's glory and not about ourselves. Everything's not about morality, um, but it's about, it's about Christ. Now, the way that you're managing your household well... Um, there's two ways that I, I see in scriptures that this is evident. The first one is that it tells us right here is that he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. So submissive children is an evidence of an elder who manages his own household well. All right. Now, if we look, if we if we were to flip over to Titus um, in, cha- in verse six, um, it tells us. Let me just read it to you. Um, Titus chapter one, verse six. It says this. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery, etc. So we also see children are believers. This is not a qualification. There could be elders whose children are not believers, but children that are believers are 
evidence of someone who is managing his own household well. We know that um, there is possibilities that even though the husband is or the, the dad is consistently teaching his, his son or daughter the scriptures and the glories of Christ, that they might not become Christians. We know that that's possible, but it would be evidenced by that. So, um, just a quick example. Last week, and this is just one one evidence of, of the glory of Christ and grace in Christ in my life that maybe maybe some of these things I'm doing are taking. We had the Lord's Supper here last week. And um, after we, we bought the, the bread and, and juice, there was a little bit left over. Um, and one of my children didn't get it. And one of them did. We're still trying to figure this out, how that works out. Um, it, it's better that, that they don't scream, right? So um, if you have children, you know what I'm talking about. So um, we got home and, and one of my daughters didn't get it and the other one did. And so for, for lunch... She needed to have some grape juice to drink. And so uh, I walked in and I see that she's got a drink of grape juice. And I said, hey, Karis, what you, what you drinking right now? Jesus's blood. I'm drinking Jesus's blood. And JC's my, my, my other daughter is like, uh, actually, it's just grape juice. We just call it symbolically of Jesus's blood. It's not really. And so um, I, I'm just like, thank you, Jesus. You know, some of this stuff is working. Thank you very much. Um, the, the point is, is that as um, as you're going through life, there's going to be things that are going to happen in church that they're going to ask questions. Or as you read the Bible, they're going to have questions that you need to you need to teach to them. And so what we're looking for is that a man, a husband and a dad who wants to continually teach his children um, the scriptures and about Christ. All right, let's keep going. Verse six, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit. And fall into the condemnation of the devil. Um, the next one is that he cannot be a recent convert. Brand new Christians, Paul is warning us, don't make good elders. Brand new Christians don't make good elders. The reason why is pride. We're all prideful anyway. Um, but those of us who are older have have gone through life enough where we can see that we, we have no really reason to be prideful. Uh, we're not as cool and we're not as great as we think we are. And, and God has showed us, shown us that through our life. Brand new converts who become elders fast will be prideful. As it says, they'll be puffed up and conceited because they'll, they'll look out at people and say, I'm already an elder. How long have you been a Christian? Um, these guys um, don't make good elders. And it's, and it's possible that they could um, become so prideful and, ha- and be kind of like knocked off their block so, very early that they can walk away from the faith and show us that they never were even Christians. So we need to be careful that we would never, ever put in someone um, who is who is a new convert because they they have the they have the possibility of being prideful and they wouldn't be a good elder right away. It doesn't mean that they never would be a good elder. Possibly they would later. All right. Verse seven. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into the disgrace and to the snare of the devil, which means that um, people outside of our church that don't attend our church. Um, they think well of you. That if, if, if we were to go to them and say, um, so-and-so is going to be an elder at our church, a pastor at our church, they would say, I understand that. They, they wouldn't say, really? Are you serious? Because I know about this and I know about this. Th- these things don't, don't make sense if they're going to be a pastor. They wouldn't say that. That you're thought of well by outsiders. Um, there's more in Titus. Uh, we don't really have time to go over all of them. Um, but if you want those, I can, I can give them to you. Um, Let's flip over to 1 Peter. That was 
um, what qualifies them. First, Peter is going to tell us what exactly they do or how they oversee or how they pastor us or how they shepherd us or how they um, elder us or with me. Look at verses first uh, Peter, chapter five, verse one, it says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And here, here are the things that they're supposed to do. There's two of them. Number one, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And here's the second one, exercising oversight. Those are the two things. They're to shepherd and they're to exercise oversight. Let's keep reading. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, not as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Um, and when the chief shepherd, that's the elder, the pastor, that's talking about Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. All right, so the two things that they're supposed to do is this. They're supposed to shepherd well and exercise oversight. Whenever we're talking about shepherding, um, you're familiar with the parable where um, it tells us there's 100 sheep and if you have 100 here and you have your 99 and one goes away then you're supposed to go after them. Shepherding sheep um, means that whenever you care for them, you're going to do everything you can to protect them. God has entrusted you with a certain amount of people. You're going to protect them from people that are going to come in with false teachings. You're going to love them well. And if one goes away, you're going to do everything you can to go get them. If you have found yourself, if you know someone who's a Christian who has wandered away from the faith and it doesn't affect you at all, You could totally care less. It doesn't break your heart and you don't weep the fact that they've walked away. Um, You are not here at this place of elder. If if they when they walk away, it 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 drives you mad. All you do is think about it and you're doing everything you can to try to bring them back. That's that's shepherding. When someone walks away, it breaks your heart that they've walked away. They also exercise oversight. This means that they govern or they lead the church and they direct the church. Um, they, they and all the elders are kind of coming together, praying for God's will, praying for God's um, um, vision to show us how this church should go. And, and they lead the church. They govern the church. They, they guide the church in the way that they see God leading them. Um, and they should operate, in my opinion, um, where everybody believes the same thing and they're, and they're continually going on. There's a unanimous decision. We are, this is where we see God taking us, and we're going to go that way. Um, the reason why is, in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, we see that some are going to depart from the faith. We know that that's the case. No matter how bad we, sh- we, we want to shepherd and, ex- and exercise oversight well, 1 Timothy 4, 1 tells us that there will be some that will depart. And good... Shepherding, good oversighting um, of, of people will pursue them with tears in their eyes and beg them to come back to the faith. They're going to watch over them well. Whenever I was uh, at Chick-fil-A this past Monday, my daughter, um, my second one, is just extremely afraid of the Chick-fil-A cow. Um, whenever I was at Movies in the Park, she had her first encounter and something happened. I'm not sure what happened. But um, when she saw the Chick-fil-A cow, she was scared to death and won't get anywhere near it. So this past Monday, we're driving to Chick-fil-A. And Karis tells me, Daddy, if I see the Chick-fil-A cow, I'm going to run up and I'm going to hug the Chick-fil-A cow. I'm like, okay, Karis, we'll see. And so we get there and, and everything's fine. You know, n- no Chick-fil-A cow. Well, the Chick-fil-A cow kind of 
finally comes out, some guy, whoever it is, puts on the big deal and he comes out and he's just kind of walking around and Kara sees him and immediately just jumps into Christie's lap and is just scared to death. And she, she's, you know, she's watching. She's, she's ready to know where he is. And he kind of walks around and he goes back to another place. And so it comes time for ice cream time where you give, you know, you give him the toy. If you're not aware of this, you can get, take the toy back and get a free ice cream cone. Um, so keep those toys and get your ice cream. So Karis goes back and, and, and is giving the, ice, the, the toy to the ice cream uh, people and the cow comes up behind her. Um, and she doesn't know. I mean, right behind her. And JC's standing there, and JC's turning around. She's like, hey, cow, how you doing? And so I see all this happening, and I know what's about to go down. And I'm like, oh, Lord. Um, and I, this, is, this is exercising oversight. So what I do is, um, Karis, so she hears me, and I say, Karis, come here. And I want her to just come straight to me. An elder's going to oversee and try to take care of this situation. Karis, come here. So she turns to see me. And when she does, out of the corner of her eye, she sees that the Chick-fil-A cow is like right here looking down at her. And he's like, like a scary clown. And so um, she sees it and she just screams. I mean, top of her lungs and starts crying immediately. <gasps> just runs to me and just is just crying. The whole the whole restaurant's like, you know, like. What did that dad just do to her? But she immediately jumps up into my lap, buries her head in my shoulder and just cries her eyes out, just scared to death. All right. Now, I want you to think about this. Why did she feel comfortable to do that to me? What made her know when she's scared and she's fearful, the first place she wants to run is into my lap, bury her head in my shoulder and cry her eyes out? Because I'm her dad. I'm shepherding her. I'm exercising oversight. And there is a deep love that I have for her and that she knows it. If you look at this text here in First Peter, it tells us there's these these things should be done humbly. These things should be done willingly, not under compulsion. As an elder, we should be eager. We should not have shameful gain. We should be a good example. We shouldn't be domineering. And in that same way, people that are in our church when a, when a tragedy hits, they know who they're going to go to. They're going to go to the people that love them and shepherd them and exercise oversight well. Those are the elders. That's the kind of elder that we're looking for here. So just to close here, um, a few notes. Um, these are just kind of some closing closing notes. I don't, I don't know how, to, how else to describe this. It's, Cleaning up everything. Um, the pastor. The pastor must meet these qualifications laid out to us in First Timothy 3. If you look at our webpage, you go to our webpage, it says staff. Um, it says John Chambers lead pastor. And then the rest of the people are the worship leader, the so-and-so director, the, the coordinator, director. It, none of them say pastor. Um, we, we take the word pastor seriously here. So we just don't throw the title pastor to someone who's not qualified. So if you see leader or coordinator or director, that means they're not a pastor. Um, they probably would fit more into the, the role of what we're going to look at next week, which would be deacon, a servant, not a pastor. So if someone, if, if one of the staff one day aspires, they go through the year-long process, they meet the qualifications, and we see, yes, we think you are qualifying, then maybe they will be the worship pastor or the, the creative pastor. But right now, that's not who they are. They're the small group leaders or coordinators. Now, who can qualify? First of all, the pastor must qualify. Me, I must qualify. Um, the staff, not necessarily. 
Staff does not mean elder. Um, Elder does not mean staff. And not every single person who's on staff will be an elder. However, you should know this. Just because you're not a staff or me, you can still be an elder. There should be men that are in the church. We call them laymen. People that are just people in the congregation that are men. They should, if they they have a, you know, a 40-hour job, they work nine to five or eight to five, Monday through Friday at a bank or, or whatever, whatever their job is. Those men, if they meet these qualifications, they can be elders. They're not a staff, they're an elder. And what we're looking for here is a good balance of men who are on staff that are elders and men who are not on staff that are just great businessmen respected in the community or awesome at their jobs as a banker or whatever, whatever they have. We would have a good balance of um, men on staff and not men on staff. That, that would, and I, my preference is the majority not be on staff of elders. So that's what we're looking for. So here's your challenges. All right, here's your challenges. And if you just want to let you know, if you're interested in any of this, you need to check out this book. It's called Biblical Eldership by Alexander Strzok. This is basically how to be an elder. This is, this is a great book and you can, you can grab that. Um, these are my challenges for you is this. Um, these qualifications that we just looked at are qualifications that every single Christian should have in their life. Every single one of you. You should not just think that this is the leadership and that's them and I'm going to do whatever I want. You should strive for these. If you'll never be an elder in your life or if you're, you're a lady and you, you know you'll never be an elder in your life, you should still have these things because these are qualifications for Christians seeking out sanctification, seeking out Christ-likeness in their life. So that's the first challenge is that if you're a believer and you're going through sanctification, which means you are, you should have these things in your life. The way you have these things in your life is not, mor- not morally based, but by returning to the cross and asking Jesus to make these things in your life. Next one is that you men, the next challenge is that you men that are here, you would start aspiring. If you want to be an elder, you would come to me and say, I want to enter into the, to the elder process. And I promise you, if you go through the entire year process and you're not really ready, you'll, you'll get weeded out. You won't want to do all the work that's required. But if you can go all the way through it and, and you meet the qualifications and you've gone through the work and then we present you to the congregation and they're saying yes, then perhaps you're ready to be an elder. So first is that we would all seek these characteristics in our life. The second is that we would all aspire. And third is that you'll pray. That you'll pray for me to continually have these qualifications in my life. And that you'll pray for the elders. That you'll pray for the elders that will one day be here at this church. Now, for those of you that aren't Christians. um, This is all new to you and you kind of just heard a big, a big unloading of church government. Um, I want to I spend a little bit of time with you just for a moment. You, as I said before, are operating as Romans fourteen twenty three told us. Everything that we do, if it's not because of faith, not out of faith is sin. You must repent from your sin. Confess Christ as your Lord. Put your faith in Jesus alone for your salvation. And become a Christian today. You must do that. If you are to have life eternal. Life with Christ. And be forgiven. And have um, an eternity in heaven with Jesus. Your problem is not the things you're doing. Your problem is your, your non-faith in Christ. And so I would just encourage you and exhort you today. To put your faith in Jesus. As your savior. For those of you that are Christians that are striving right now. Um, we're going to go to a time of worship. 
Um, and, and so both of you, as we go into this, um, have a challenge put before you. If you're not a Christian, I want to challenge you to talk with the person you came with that you trust or come find me afterwards. And I want to help you understand how to become a Christian. If you are a believer and you see these qualifications in your life and you know I, I am violent, I am quarrelsome, I'm not teaching my, my family, um, I, I'm not a great husband, I'm not above reproach, um, I'm a lover of money. You need to repent of those things. These are not things that should be present in your life as a Christian. You should repent, but it's not a, a I'm going to just get enough willpower in my life to stop. It's Jesus, I can't do this. You're going to return to the cross, just like when you were saved. Return to the cross, confess your sin, ask for forgiveness, and ask for help. And then stand and worship Jesus, the only one who makes this process of sanctification happen in your life. You're going to stand and thank Him and worship Him because He has made this available for you. Ben, go ahead and come out. I'm going to pray. And I just want to encourage you to... uh, Spend some time in prayer, spend some time in repentance and ask God to um, let the Holy Spirit lead you and direct you and how you should respond this morning and that you would be obedient. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for everyone here. God, we we need help as a church. Always. There won't ever be a time when we won't need help. And I just confess to you our need right now, God, that you would you would encourage men to step out and aspire to the office of elder. You would encourage men to desire to have these qualifications and these qualities in their life. And that they would want to lead this church, your church, with us. God, I pray for anyone here who sees in their life that they don't have these qualifications, that they cease present sin in their life. That they would surrender all to you this morning. That they would lean wholly on Christ and Christ alone and his cross. And forgiveness that lies in him. And that they would stand and worship you. The one who has made provision through the gospel. Through the good news of Jesus. With his death on the cross for us. And for those of you God who don't know you. Those here that don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. That today would be the day of salvation. They would find me afterwards and say, I don't know Jesus the way you talked about him. The only way I know Jesus is is stop doing bad things and start doing good things. I've never heard the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for me and wants me to have faith and faith alone in him. And that they would repent of their sin, confess Jesus as Lord and live a life of faith in him. Be with us now as we worship. We praise things in Jesus' name.